Hello and a welcome to the HP Lovecraft Book Club. Uh, in each episode of this podcast, I'll be looking at some of the writing of HP Lovecraft and giving my my perspective on them. Uh, the goal is to go through as much of Lovecraft's writing as is possible and reasonable. Um, but uh, that means we're going to be looking at nonfiction writing and letters and um, you know essays he wrote in poems but currently we are working our way through a, a chunk of stories a big chunk of stories that he wrote in the early 1920s one of his most productive the one of the most productive periods of his career just in kind of the bulk of titles um, these are often shorter stories he wrote just long stuff later in his career but these were um, there are a lot of them about half of all the stories he wrote were written in the early 1920s and many of his most notable and well-known stories came from this period as well. This one is not one of them. This is not one of the most well-known ones, but uh, it's it's interesting. Um, but I think it's one we can kind of talk about and get through pretty pretty quickly. Um, it's called The Outer Gods. Um, or, sorry, not The Outer Gods. I made the mistake. I was just going to comment on The Other Gods. Um, the Other Gods is the name of the story. Uh, I, I hope you can understand why it's an easy mistake to make. Uh, of course, a big concept in Lovecraft's fiction is the is those is the outer gods, and the elder gods, and all these different uh, all this different mythology that he started to develop and really kind of was built on after he died. You know, where he started adding these other um, elder gods of various types. You know, obviously, it's a big part of the the gaming culture that's built up around Lovecraft is struggling against these different. Uh, deities, some of which were created by Lovecraft, some of which weren't, right? Haster. Haster is the one that kind of often gets incorporated into the, the King in Yellow. That gets incorporated into Lovecraft mythos, even though its origins is elsewhere. But anyways, uh, you know, me making that mistake, and I'll probably make that mistake again in this episode, is, is I think, not hard to, to understand why, right? It, you know, you see the title, you wanted to say The Outer Gods, because that's kind of what you expect in a Lovecraft story. But nope, it's called The Other Gods. It is a, it's a dreamland story. It's, it's clearly set in the dreamlands. We have references to places that are in other dreamland stories. It's, it's quite short. It's only about four or five pages long. And it's very, very allegorical. Um, that's something that a lot of his dreamland stories seem to have is, is an allegorical aspect to them. Um, this one more than any of the others actually does kind of, is really, it's a story about arrogance. It's a story about hubris. And in many ways, it's a, it's a reflection on the insignificance of humanity in, in the universe. And even the insignificance of human gods uh, compared to the outer gods. I mean, that's really what this is about. It's about a man who thinks he's become the equal of the gods through knowledge, and he struggles to kind of be their equal. So he climbs the mountain to get to their domain. And when he gets up there, he's horrified to learn of the outer of, of the other gods, the ones even farther higher above the gods that he conceived of. So even with however much knowledge, however much awareness, however developed we can we can become, we're always going to be second tier compared to uh, or third, fourth, fifth, millionth tier compared to the real uh, forces out there in the universe. Right. So this story is really about human insignificance in the in the face of of the greater cosmic reality. It's, it's really a cosmic horror story. Um, not particularly scary, of course. It, it's really an allegorical fantasy story. So as the story begins, uh, we are told about Earth's gods, right? Um, and they inhabit the, the lesser peaks. I actually kind of like the geography of the story a bit. It's kind of like 
you know how the Greeks, you know, they put their god at, on Olympus, right? And then when the Christians came along, they, they, you know, had geographic. They had their own geography of the cosmos, their own cosmology, but they put their gods kind of higher up than even the mountains, right? And I suppose if you can look at some kind of more traditional religions where the gods are in the trees or in the rocks or whatever, you kind of get a, a, a greater separation between the gods and, and humans as religions develop. Um, towards towards monotheism, um, but on the top of the tallest of Earth's peaks are the gods of Earth. Uh, they don't let people look at them. And he actually writes here: lesser peaks they once inhabited, but ever the men from the plains would scale the slopes of rocks and snow, driving the gods to higher and higher mountains. Uh, end quote. That I think is just it's kind of if you just look at the history of religion, there's some truth to that, right? Obviously, we can nitpick maybe the details here, but I think there's generally a growing gap geographically between people and gods as you know over time um, you know and as you know I guess some of the newest traditions like the monotheistic traditions are, are kind of newish I mean they, of course there's been a lot of religious sense but in the kind of the the broad sweep of religious history the the monotheistic traditions are, are, are a little bit older or a little bit younger and they put their god farther and farther out. Another cool thing here is that the, as these gods kind of left the, 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 the shorter peaks, they left behind relics of, of themselves, faces, images on the face of the mountain, right? And again, it's kind of like the relics of these old, more uh, uh, earth, like land gods, earth gods. And where do they go to? Well, they go to Kadath. Um, and this is, I think, our first mention of, of Kadath in, in Lovecraft's story, of course, the dream quest of the unknown. Kadath is all about that, so we'll, we'll keep that in mind. That's, that's where they go. And they also, as they get separated from man and get a little bit, I guess, upset that humans are able to try to meet them. I mean, that's what happened, right? Humans giving knowledge of the gods, so they kind of climb up the peaks, and then those gods have to flee. So, quote, they are grown stern, and where once they suffered men to displace them, they now forbid men to come or coming to depart. I, I just think this is a really, really great allegory for the history of the world history of religions. Where you go from this these these clathonic gods, is that pronounced right? The gods of the land, the gods of earth, right? I think the Druids literally dug underground to have access to their gods. And then you got the Olympian gods on a mountain, and then you got the monotheistic gods who are, who are so far away they're kind of even outside of our our physical universe. Um, but these gods are still sort of humanistic. They still get homesick. They still want to visit those peaks that they once uh, these they once lived on. Um, and they're also got that technology, which is kind of cool. They're they're they are sort of like just really really advanced humans or maybe aliens. You know, Lovecraft, of course, is a is an atheist. So these gods are are kind of grounded in in some kind of material reality. Uh, they have cloud ships, which is kind of cool. In cloud ships, the gods are want to travel. And wise cotters have legends that they kept them from certain high peaks at night when it's cloudy, for the gods are not lenient as of old. So anyways, then we get to the main story after this introduction. Um, so we're in Ulthar. We were in Ulthar before in the story of Cats of Ulthar, of course. And we meet this man called Barzai, Barzai the Wise. And he's the, he's the smartest man. He's the most knowledgeable. He's our typical Lovecraftian quester, investigator, someone who has dug deeply into the mythology and the legends and the history and the books. Uh, he's not of, of the vernacular side of that. I've been talking about how there's like the, 
elitist side of it, the book side of it, and there's the vernacular side. He's of the book side. He's read the seven critical books of San. He was familiar with, with the Panatic manuscripts. Uh, so he knows about Lomar. So he probably knows about Sarnath and all that stuff. So he gets it from books, though. Uh, and he knew the gods. He knew them as well as the gods seem to know themselves. Um, it was even he, it says, that, that, that advised the people of Uthar to pass the law against the killing of cats after the events of the cats of Uthar. There we just learned that it's a legend and we kind of see the original story behind why it became forbidden to kill cats. Here we have the actual man who created this, this law. So as um, Barzai the Wise learns more about the gods, he gets this desire to look upon the faces of the gods and to travel up the, the rocky peaks of Hathgad Kal. That's, and he knows the gods will be there and he wants to climb up the, the mountain, right? So he goes on his little adventure. And he takes with him a priest, a priest named Atal, who's kind of going to be his companion. And this sort of a parallels, I guess, the quest of Iranon, where you got the Side, sidekick alongside the, the main quester um, and also someone who's not going to get there right? uh, now I guess Ironon didn't get there either but he got closer than the, the companion here it's the same kind of situation so they set out uh, Barzai the Wise because of his vast acquisition of knowledge he has no fear right? and, and I really think the, 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 the relationship here between Atal and Barzai is very similar to that That's the, the, the relationship between Warren and Carter in the statement of Randall Carter, right? Both somewhat knowledgeable, but one more knowledgeable than the other. One studied the books a little bit longer, a little bit more experienced. So you got the and you got the the sidekick who's just started to investigate, but because he doesn't know as much, he's less bold. And in the statement of Randall Carter, of course, Warren goes into the into the sepulchre, into the tomb, and to to see, and he kind of knows what he's going to see. He he knows what he expects it. And even the horrible things perhaps happen to him. It's not really clear what does happen to him, but you know he's, you know he know kind of knows what he's walking into, and he does so rather fearlessly. And while Warren, in that story, Warren is very fearful because he doesn't really know what's going to happen, and everything is a surprise for him. And that's the sort of the situation we have here. Um, quote, um, Barzai was old and learned and had no fears, so led the way boldly up the slope that no man had scaled since the time of Sanu, who was written of in fright in the moldy panoptic manuscripts. And I think this, this uh, confidence in, uh, coming from knowledge that we see in Barzai is contrasted with a more primal fear that Atal has. Um, although he's a priest, so he seems to have some learning, right? And priests normally are people of, of some, some learning. But in this story, Atal is presented as much, much more uh, primal in his fears. Quote, Barzai was wise in the lore of Earth's gods and listened hard for certain sounds. But Atal felt the fear chill of the vapors and the awe of the night and feared much. End quote. And, uh, you know, it's like you climb up these mountains and, he, you know, Barzai is listening for certain sounds because he knows that's going to be the voice of the Earth, of the Earth gods. Earth's gods. Atal, though, he doesn't really have that understanding. So for him, it's just horrifying sounds and smells and, and chills and all that. Um, so that's kind of the feel you get throughout this whole rather short story of, of Atal being primal, fearful. He's like the common human who looks upon the gods with fear. Barzai has, it seems, achieved command over the Earth's gods. I mean, it's, it's not hubris in that he's trying to match the Earth's gods because it's very clear he... He has achieved that. He has achieved equality with the Earth's gods. 
in knowledge. And that's not totally unplausible because the Earth gods here are presented as being somewhat material. They have they don't they can't fly around. They're not non-corporeal. They 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 even have cloud ships that they they travel around in. But yet even that that case though it's still enough to to scare poor Atal who doesn't have that knowledge. Barzai is kind of a one of a kind. He's he's one of the few that can achieve that that level of knowledge. So then we're not surprised when Atal essentially gets left behind as Barzai continues to climb the peak of these mountains. Um, Atal simply can't go on and he lags behind um, and he kind of falls away from the story. He becomes the, sort of like the narrator. He becomes, although we have an objective narrator here, he does become the one who can conceivably tell the story of Barzai's fate um, because if he doesn't, if he goes up there too, he's going to meet the same fate. So he is someone who's able to sort of tell the story. Um, and so the last two pages of this tale, again, only five pages long, but the last two pages of it basically are Atal's observations of as Barzai moves ahead to the peak and he, and he gets there and then he gives a speech. And in this way, it's very, very much like the statement of Randolph Carter in which he goes in and we just get his reporting back. Uh, very, very similar structure here. So the first thing he reports is that he's, he hears the voices of Earth's gods um, singing on the mountain peak. And he claims to know them. He understands them. He says, The wisdom of Barthai hath made him greater than Earth's gods, and against their will their spells and barriers are as naught. So that seems to be true in the context of the story, is that he has achieved equality or even triumph over the gods. And um, this is where his hubris fits in. And he starts to talk about being actually greater than the gods. Quote, the voices of Earth's gods are high and wild, and they fear the coming of Barzai the wise, who is greater than they. The moon's light flickers as Earth gods dance against it. I shall see the dancing forms of the gods that leap and howl in the moonlight. The light is dimmer, and the gods are afraid. Um, so now we kind of, after hearing this hubris, this statement of command over the gods, we kind of return to Atel's point of view and he starts to see physical changes in, in, around him, changes in the air, changes in the path, the, the cliff becomes more difficult to scale and all these things. And, and then he starts to hear the shrieks of Barzai, Barzai the wise. And what he sees are, is magic essentially. And he sees like the mountain peak is where the earth gods dwell, right? And then he starts to see something from the moon Quote, the moon is dark and the gods dance in the night and there's terror in the sky for upon the moon has sunk an eclipse foretold in no books of men or earth's gods. There's unknown magic on Hafla Kla for the screams of the frightened gods have turned to laughter and the slopes of ice shoot up endlessly into the black heavens whither I am plunging. At last, in the dim light, I behold the gods of earth. So at this moment of achievement, it is witnessing his, his, the achievement of his life work he then reports he sees the other, other gods. He sees that there's other gods higher up. And he kind of like, again, it's very much like Warren. Warren, you know, he, he kind of sees what he expects and then he sees a little bit more and he calls back, you know, close the door. Don't come after me. I'm done for. Right now, maybe there's a post history for Warren underneath the, the, the sepulcher. I like to think so. But he's saying, uh, you know, don't go in. You, you can't go this. You can't go look ahead as where I've been because of these other gods. So he sees this other level above above of the Earth's gods. And Atal flees. Uh, 
and he's eventually able to get to the bottom of the slope um, when the moon after the eclipse when the moon finally came out. So actually, when you know to be clear here, when Barzai sees these other gods is during the eclipse. So he's able to witness something that it was an unpredicted eclipse. So someone as knowledgeable as Barzai, you'd think, based on these books, would have been able to predict an eclipse, but it was an unexpected eclipse. But it's during the eclipse that he has kind of that that doorway into the this deeper reality of the universe is opened up for him. But anyways, Atal survives and is able to tell the story of the man that climbed um, Hathgalkla, this mountain. Now, the only real record of Barzai the Wise that they're able to, to dig up is described in the final two paragraphs of the story. Um, so they go looking for him. They, they don't, I think, go up as high, but they, they do go up and they find a, quote, great... Uh, they found graven in the naked stone at the summit a curious encyclopian symbol 50 cubits wide, as if the rock had been riven by some titanic chisel. And the symbol was like that to one that learned men have discerned in those frightful parts of the Panoptic manuscripts, which are too ancient to be read. Uh, this they found. So they don't really know what it says or what it means. It's too ancient. Maybe Barzai could have read it because he knows the Panoptic manuscripts, but no one else does. Now, remember, we're told the Earth gods leave symbols in the mountain, on, on images on the face of the mountain. That's kind of what this is, right? So the Earth gods maybe left some kind of relic of, of him. Or another way of thinking about it is Barzai the Wise has sort of reached the level of the Earth gods. So maybe he's kind of been elevated to that, but but humbled by the by the outer gods, right? So maybe it's not so much that he's killed or annihilated up there, but he, he has achieved some level of equality with the earth gods, and therefore he kind of becomes one of them. Uh, he's never found. Um, they couldn't even even Atal won't pray for his soul, so Atal seems to to find him cursed. Um, but then we get kind of like with the cats of Uthar, like the origin of some kind of mythology or tradition or custom. In this case, it's fear of the eclipses, which is something that's inherited from the incident into the, into the community. And then the final words of the story just suggest that the earth gods remain kind of there and they keep doing their own thing. So, you know, it's, it's, you know, that's it. That's the, that's the story. So not much changes. It's just a little, one man has kind of realized a deeper level to, to the cosmos. Right now, is this story that important? I don't think it's that important to, to read. I think if you read Lovecraft, it's all pretty obvious. Um, you know, his conception of cosmic horror, there's stories that I think do it better and, and you know, that pack a bigger punch. I guess it's interesting that this theme is is being set so strongly in the in the in the dreamlands. I don't know if we quite saw it framed in this way before in the dreamlands. Um, you know, it's but it's yeah. I don't really know what more to say about this story. It just it's it's something you could read if you want to be a Lovecraft completionist. I, I think there are better dreamland stories. I think there's better stories like it of the cosmic horror. It's just too allegorical, I think, and, and everything kind of fits nicely into its place. I do think the most interesting thing for me in this story is how you sort of do have this, the history of religion kind of being played out here in, in, in this land. Where you go from like the, these earth gods to the, the mountain sky gods to the, the cosmic gods. And, and I think that's kind of how the history of religion plays out in, in a simplified form. So, anyways, that's um, 
that's that. That's all I'm going to say about the Outer Gods. I'll have more to say about other stories. So if you, if you find more in here that I'm missing, you know, I'm probably wrong about a lot of what I said here. You know, if you have something to add, just leave a comment. Send me a tweet. Do something. Contact me. Contact me. Uh, and I will certainly be interested in what you have to say on this. Um... Maybe I'm skip going through it so quickly because there's nothing about race here. Anyways, kind of a, a similar story coming up next. The music of Eric Zahn. It's actually been a few years since I read this story, so I'll, I'm looking forward to jumping into it again. But someone coming to face with this cosmic war. In fact, it pairs nicely. I, I think the music of Eric Zahn is a lot better than the other gods. The other gods. Sorry, I did it again. Uh, I knew I would. I kind of, I prefer it. It's more, hum it's more human. It's not the human scale. I'm looking forward to talking about the music of Arizona. That's what I'll be next. Um, see you then.